Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of the fight game on 1230 The Game. I am your host, Damon Cotton, and I say it each and every week that there is so much to talk about in the world of combat sports, so much to talk about in the world in general, but we can't possibly get to it all in under an hour. But boy, do we have a good show for you lined up today. Where should we start? UFC Vegas 66 was this past weekend. Main event, Jared Cannonier, Sean Strickland went to a decision. Cannonier won. I kind of favored Sean Strickland in that card. Another standout from that card, Saeed Nurmagomedov. I asked him, hey, is he going to be more, more of a personality, more of a personality in 2023? Because I think he's got it all. Got a very impressive submission victory. But will we see more of him being you know, a loud and boisterous type of a fighter to move up those rankings in that 135 card, maybe get some bigger callouts because I do think that he should be ranked now inside of the top 10 in the UFC. But let me tell you about the guest that we have coming up today. We've got Heidi Fang, and she's going to be joining me in just a few minutes in studio, me and Heidi Fang chopping it up, going to be asking her about some of her best of 2022 in the UFC. And then after Heidi... We've got Jim Greasehopper, and he's going to be joining us as well. He's going to be giving us his best of the UFC in the year of 2022. Now, we're going to be talking submission of the year, knockout of the year, fight of the year, fighter of the year, and maybe even some predictions for 2023. Because, I mean, a year that was as wild as 2022, new champions all around. Champions that won a fight, Francis Ngannou, and basically took the rest of the year off. Francis won that fight against Cyril Gan early in the year, and we haven't seen him since because he's basically in a contract holdout, I know, barring injury, but I think he's, hold, he's holding out technically from the UFC. Aljermaine Sterling winning his title, and after, you know, and some would say a fluky fashion, but then beating Jan retaining it against Dillashaw and hey not his fault you got to fight who was in front of you Alexander Volkanovsky maintaining claiming his place at the top of the pound for pound rankings in the UFC Israel Adesanya losing his title to Alex Perea shocker a shocker to me at least Alex Perea being the UFC middleweight champion Leon Edwards Rocky and boy did he have a rocky type of a finish when he knocked out Kamaru Usman in the fifth round of their fight in Salt Lake City at UFC 274, if I'm not mistaken. Zhang Wei Li. Oh my gosh, so many comebacks, so many fighters retaining or getting back the, to the championship spot in the UFC. So it's going to be interesting to see what my guests are going to have to say. Because I'm going to save mine. You're not going to get to hear my best of until the end of the show. But we're going to get into the guest, and we're going to do that with Heidi Fang as she joins me here in studio. So without further ado, let's ring the bell. I'm pleased to introduce my next guest. I mean, a friend of the show back for a second time around. 
the illustrious Heidi Fang. Ooh. She's got so much going on with the Las Vegas Review Journal. Interviews here, interviews there, taking some of the best pictures in the game. I don't care what the sport is. Heidi's got you covered. So, Heidi, let's talk a little MMA. You recently posted some throwback pics. Or at least someone yeah. was out there about 2012, 2013 of like the old MMA scrums. I mean, yeah. Dana White looked like he was the old Dana White a body ago. Mm-hmm. So what was it like back in those UFC days? Oh, uh, it was interesting because you know, when I first started out, nowadays you guys get your own microphones. They have you at your own table. They give you a space to kind of spread out and put your gear and your tripod up. It's very fancy. Back when I started covering it, we were in a room, it looked like a broom closet, interviewing Nate Diaz and Tony Ferguson <laughs> at a Colorado <laughs> event, and uh, you lined up. There were no scrums, there were no waiting, you know, for your question to throw at Dana like you do kind of now. You got one-on-ones. You used to be able to go in there, have your microphone, have your recorder, by yourself, whatever, talk one-on-one with the fighter after a fight. But now, because the sport has grown so much, you need to have all of the different things at the facility that set it up. So it's pretty crazy because when I was doing and starting out, I remember waiting for Dominic Cruz to finish eating dinner once to be able to do an interview with him. It was just kind of like a walk-up basis. Like, hey, uh, you had a minute? I'm with blah, 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 and I would like to do the interview. Okay, cool. I remember interviewing Uriah Hall, um, excuse me, Uriah Faber. In this area that was uh, like they were loading gym mats in at the MGM Grand, like where they're loading in the mats where the fighters go in, blue corner, red corner. And I saw them loading and I saw Uriah Faber walking back there probably to train and work out with some of his crew before fight. And I was like, hey, you had a minute. Did the same thing with uh, Aljo even when he started his career, but Aljo means Sterling. But yeah, it's been such a difference now and how they have it so structured that that doesn't happen anymore. And probably because that was happening with so many different people. I remember Anderson Silva taking time before an event to sit on the stage after he had done his open workout, which you don't see, you'll see them do the open workout. Then they bring him over now to a scrum area and everybody talks to him. Anderson Silva did his workout. He sat on the stage and he let every journalist come up to him one-on-one. Don't see that anymore. No, you don't. And also, when you talk about it, it's also nice. This has been my first year of covering the yeah. UFC as a credentialed member of the Look media. Look at you, Demond. Yeah, I'm Y'all proud of myself, up. too. Yes, I mean, 2022. We're going to get to the best of, uh. of everything in the UFC 2022. But one of my biggest pet peeves, and I love the UFC. Hey, thanks for, thanks for hooking it up. I appreciate it, all that it, you guys man. do. But... <laughs> when you're at the media, let's say after the fight, yeah. and people rattle off their questions, and sometimes I'm like... I'm not saying that you're taking all the good questions because, hey, come up with better questions for you yourself as a question asker. Sure. But some people get like five questions in and they're like, yeah, last one for me. But that's like so different for me. Like, I know Raider, exactly Raider what, wise, who <laughs> Like if, you, if everyone asked Josh, Mc, if he was just, hey, hey, Mc, Coach McDaniels after the game. Hey, that big play, that big sack, yeah. the last winning touchdown. Yeah, and, and what do you think about next week's opponent? Yeah, that's all for me. Well, you kind of just did everyone's job. <laughs> In the press conference with the first person. But I digress. No, no, I get that because that does happen. And one of the things that used to bother me is like I didn't have an upfront seat. And I never did. And I don't know why, because I always considered myself an OG. I always have to ask about that. But I, I never had my name tag on a seat. 
And so like a lot of the beat writers for MMA do get that, you know, and they get to sit up front and they get the mic first. So it's always the same people who get the mic first and they get in the process, like you said. And so you'd be back there raising your hand and raising your hand and then they never see you and they never come to you. And then you never get to ask your very important key <laughs> question that would be earth shaking, ground shattering. Yeah, that's the one that's going to shake the system. Yeah, right. Again, we're talking to Heidi Fang <laughs> from the Las Vegas Review Journal here on the fight game. So let's get into 2022. I mean, a great year of fights. I mean, a great year in the UFC. So we're just going to rattle them off best of. Let's go with your submission of the year. That has to go for me, Dustin Poirier against Michael Chandler. And I thought that obviously Chandler was in control of that fight. And for the first two rounds, I thought, man... I was not expecting Dustin to be in the position that he was where it was a must-win situation going into the third round. He had Chandler with the takedowns, the overhand rights, very prototypical game plan for Michael Chandler to execute. Everybody knows what's coming. The wrestling is going to be there. The stand-up and the heavy hit is going to be there. He comes out with that wide stance. You know what his approach is going to be. And so when I thought about Dustin... And the ground game that he has, that he's so good at jujitsu. He's so uh, opportunistic in moments when he gets on the ground with you on the mat. And that's exactly what ended up happening in this. You know, he gets Chandler, wraps him up. He's able to slap on the choke and get the tap. And for me, that was so huge to see that out of Dustin Poirier, who's somebody that I think is born on one of the top three in that division if not even maybe the one, but just hasn't really had, I think, the the best. We haven't seen the best, I think, of Dustin Poirier right now. I, I think we've seen him at what his peak was maybe for that fight, but I still think he's even got more. And because he's somebody that's constantly improving his game, constantly challenging himself. Uh, I love what Dustin Poirier brings to the table. Unfortunately, he's dealing with that staff right now, so I don't know how he's going to come back from it. I don't know if you saw those videos, but it's pretty freaky. Oh, yeah. Google Dustin Poirier's staff. You don't have to. I actually talked to him a little bit. I chatted with Poirier about it. I was like, you all right, man? <laughs> and he just put up the prayer hands. So I was like, all right, that was our conversation, the extent of it. But yeah, Dustin Poirier is still dealing with that. Uh, so how he comes back in 2023, we'll have to wait and see. So do you think that I think that we've seen the best of Dustin Poirier? I just don't think that he's a championship, you know, contender at the lightweight division now. He is great, like he's a top five fighter, but when it comes to the upper echelon, like the top one or two, I just don't think that he's one of those guys. Um, the ESPN like Twitter account they put out who's a fighter that's like a Messi, like who would be the equivalent? Ooh. And obviously Dustin Poirier, he's not like a Messi, but like but people were saying. Who would be a fighter that's been around for a long time? That's obviously, you know, got the the uh, the accomplishments of an all time great, but just have never won the big one. Mm. And for me, I was like, oh, it's Dustin Poirier, where he, it's been the like the undisputed champion, but has never. Obviously, there there's no uh, there's no perfect MMA comparison. Jim Miller. Ah, Jim Miller like, would be mine. Yeah, he did have a run. Yeah. But for me, I don't want to get sidetracked. Okay. But for Jim Miller, he was also, <laughs> he was like that step down. He was yeah. just always there for a good fight. Mm -hmm. But I never thought Jim Miller was going to be, you know. You knew it. Jim Miller's so, so much a dog, man. 
he's one of those fighters that you can never count out. Anytime if you see Jim Miller as an underdog, even if it's like plus 400, 500, I say bet it. He's the type that would get in a fight. He'll make it grimy. He'll get you where he wants you. He'll keep fighting until, you know, the, the cows come home. I know it's cliche, but he, that's what he does. <laughs> he's got that dog that's in him. He does. He does, you know, and that's you can never count him out. Even when he had Lyme disease and he almost lost his life and he came back to this sport after dealing with that ordeal in his life and those are things that you expect out of him and that New Jersey tough as they say uh, and getting out there and really making the most of every opportunity and the the longevity that he's had with his career is for a reason all right I'm looking at these Dustin Poirier pictures and you are right Woo. yeah all right <laughs> yeah Again, we're talking I looked at it once and I turned away and I wish I had unseen it and I'm sorry now that I put your eyes on it and you'll never forget this moment in your life again we're talking to Heidi Fink from the <laughs> Las Vegas Review <laughs> Journal here on the fight game so Heidi what was your knockout of the year uh, I has to go Perea against Adesanya. I don't think a lot of people were expecting that. Uh, I think Perea is a bad, bad man. I actually called that KO, and it's really funny. You know, I do cover the Raiders, Max Crosby, uh, big MMA fan. We talk a lot. We chop it up about MMA and stuff when I'm in the locker room, just off the record. You know, we talk. It's not like it's on tape or anything. Yeah. But, um, so there was somebody in the locker room that had made him a bet, not me, <laughs> about Adesanya, uh, you know, winning that fight. And I think uh, Max also took Perea. And so the person comes over, hands him 20 bucks. He's like, here you go. After the fight, and I was like, no way. Did you take Perea? And he's like, yeah, I did. But both of us thought that Perea was going to get that done sooner then it happened. And I just think, not that Izzy was un uh, underestimating him, because I don't think at any point in MMA, when you have any title challenger against you, that you're actually, you know, you might talk up a fight, you might try to sell the fight, but I don't think you're ever underestimating your opponent. I know he respected uh, the power that Perea has and the ability that he has and just uh, all the things that he's been able to accomplish and striking have been pretty amazing and something about Izzy is he always wants to challenge himself against somebody else's best weapon right so you think about the stand-up game in between these two and I thought well it's who's going to weather the storm and I thought Perea would actually get it done faster with the power that he has uh over Izzy uh even though Izzy lives in the matrix but it, I mean for me I think getting it done the shock that it had the impact that it had that was such a huge fight it was, and something that I didn't expect in that fight, I thought Izzy was going to you know, squeak out a decision yeah. after seeing how cautious he was against Cannoneer. But Perea, this dude's big. I didn't think he, he's so much bigger at 185. Like He's one of those guys easily could be fighting at 205. You think he walks around 225? What do you think his walking around weight is? 230. Yeah? I'm giving him 230. Okay, I thought maybe 225. I'm okay. giving him 230 because, like, he he's not hesitant. You know, I'm not saying he's afraid of challengers, mm -hmm. but he he can't easily just snap back into it. Yeah, he was like, one of the last to weigh in, right? Yeah, like, one yeah. of, like, the, the turnaround for, hey, we want you to have a championship fight. Like, if he was, like, healthier-wise, like, no injuries, yeah. there's no way that he could make weight. For the Brazil card next month is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, no chance. No chance. Uh, I think uh, uh, another thing about you know, Perea, just talking here about him and, and thinking about that moment going back, and you talked about um, Izzy and how tentative he was against Cannoneer. That was something I thought, too, like that was part of the reason I picked Perea was because of that fight leading into it. And I thought, you know, it's not that he didn't have it, he didn't have the desire, he didn't have the passion. It's none of that. It was just it felt like he let off the gas pedal a little bit and was expecting his natural mm -hmm. gifts to be able to be there for him as opposed to more strategic mm -hmm. approach.
All right, Heidi, now we're going to move on to your fight of the year. Yeah, this one wasn't hard for me at all. Uh, <laughs> I mean, try not to do his name a disservice because I, I struggle when there's many consonants in a name. Yuri Prozhaka. Prozhaka. I messed it all up because I was trying to do it right. Yuri Prozhaka. <laughs> Yuri Prozhaka. You know what? We, Yuri. We, we, that we went yeah, through three different uh, yeah. pronunciations. I there. even tried. I practiced. I listened to the UFC pronunciation of it. And I'm sorry, Yuri. I apologize. I didn't mean to mess up your name. It's unfortunate that we didn't get that rematch yet. And for Glover now, things become even more convoluted given the Ooh. picture of the situation after the vacant belt was won. So, man, it's just like, when does Yuri come back? How does Glover get involved? What does Glover do? How does he how do they fight for this title? How, what is the UFC going to do? I mean, it's like I thought Yuri as the Czech champ man for what it was to the country for him and and being the first of his country to achieve that was like the uh, Argentine parade for the soccer team in mm-hmm. Buenos Aires, the way it looked when he went back home and he was celebrated by his whole country. Can you imagine that? Like, Stipe Miocic won the belt, went back to working at a fire station. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the city of Cleveland did for Miochik, but yeah, I mean, it's it just one of those things that you look and think about what the impact was there and how much he was celebrated there and being able for Yuri Prazaka trying again. I just want to keep trying it. Okay. And I'm sorry. Um, I know I'm not, I'm not trying to literally butcher through. his name. I'm a power through. There we go. Uh, but that fight was another one where I think if it had gone to the cards, the favor is in Glover's hands. Mm-hmm. It's going to go to Glover. And granted, his gas tank was gone. I think both of their gas tanks were gone. Yeah. But you know the submission game, if you had to put it on paper before the fight, people are giving the submission game to Glover. And the fact that Yuri is the one that comes out with the get in the tap, I thought no way Glover taps. I thought if anything, it'd be a technical submission to the point of Glover is going to fall asleep before he gives up that belt, especially at his age, because this is something he could have been. No, I wouldn't say he's a messy because. You know, Glover, um, I think is you're always going to get the same product. I think he is what he is, and that's what you're always going to see out of him. And um, it's not a bad thing. It's, you know, top five in the division, I'd say. Uh, uh, in moments, yeah, if you can get the right matchup, Styles make fights, you get the right matchup, Glover can win one. And this was one where I, going in it, I thought this would be Glover's game. I thought if he got it to the ground, he'd be able to pull off the submission. Instead, Yuri does it, flips the script, craziness unfolds but ultimately just one of the back and forth this the way that they fought the way it was a bloody one they they got in there they really scrapped up man it was a crowd pleaser and that one was my fight of the year all right heidi i've only got one more for you again we're talking to heidi fame from the las vegas review journal since you ended your fight of the year at that 205 that light heavyweight championship Glover versus Jamal Hill. What do you think is going to happen there? Because I'll just say it first. I think that Jamal Hill is going to upset the UFC's plans a little bit. Yeah. And we're never going to see Glover Yuri too. I think you're right. I do. I think Jamal Hill has a lot of assets and things that people didn't expect to see. You know, he is a fighter through and through. And he is somebody that will prepare. He's somebody that will make his uh, way to the top and and finds opportunities in situations that unfold. And I just uh, what I've seen out of him so far in this division, I mean... <laughs> 
he is got like we said earlier he's got that dog in him and at his age 31 years old trying to be able to compete through you know um just think of it he was supposed to face anthony smith originally in that card which would have been a much different fight and i think he would have beat anthony smith you know um he's got this win record right now of knockout after knockout over some names that i wasn't expecting him to beat and that was one of them was johnny walker I didn't think he would get through Johnny Walker. I didn't think even he might get through um, Tiago Santos. So those are ones that when you think about the record that he's had and how he competes, I mean, it, it's going to be a tough one. All right, Heidi, let everybody know what you got going on, where they can find you, where they can follow you, all that good stuff. I'm on Insta and also Twitter, at Heidi Fang. Follow me there. Of course, everything with Vegas Nation is always right there, VegasNation.com. Um, on the morning tailgate here, Raider Nation Radio, you can listen to that, 7 to 10. And in addition to all of that, I'll probably be back out there in combat sports as soon as the Raider season is, comes to an end. And I'll be back on the grind out in uh, boxing land and MMA UC land. So I'm looking forward to that. Woo! So much work to do. Heidi Fang, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for coming on with me. Thank you. And that was Heidi Fang, everybody. But when we come back, we're going to be joined by Jim Griesaber. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Iman Cotton. And welcome back to the fight game on 1230 The Game. And I'm pleased to introduce my next guest. I mean, he's been on the show so many times this year. You know what? He's the guest of the year as we're giving out awards. Guest of the year, Jim Grease Greasehopper is on the fight game. Welcome back to the show, Grease. I'm the guest of the year, D. I'm loving it. Bro. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I know you have a lot of big time people on and you're doing great with the show. So. I'll take that honor heading into 2023, man. I'll take any honor I can get at my age. I love it. Thank you. Exactly. Guest of the year. So 2023, hey, man, I mean, you beat out a lot of competition. So 2023, the guests are going to have to step it up to try to win such an illustrious title. I mean, you won over, you know, Jamal Hill, who was great on the show. I mean, Bryce Mitchell, sneaky good on the show. I was like leaving as I left the interview. I was like, man, I am think I'm a fan of Bryce Mitchell. I'll tell you what, <laughs> just watching that raw emotion after his loss against Teporia and him talking about quitting possibly and just being so down on himself was tough to see. I mean, Bryce Mitchell, he's, he's got a great future, but Teporia is a beast. And then who was the other one you mentioned? Jamal, oh, you mentioned Jamal Hill. Hill. He's got the title shot coming up. What a great dude. I actually, um, when I was in Vegas at Fight Week, did an interview with him, and I started a little beef between him and Helen Yee. And Hel I've been friends with Helen for a long time in Schmo, and um, Helen's right there. And Helen's like, ask him why he's ducking me, and he doesn't want to race. And I'm like, oh, why are you ducking Helen? And he, they, we're going to have a swimming race. And so I just kind of got into it, and I'm instigating it. And uh, He's a good dude. I, I really like him a lot, and I, I'm pulling for him, man. I love Glover, too. But I know we're not here to talk about this, but I'm, I'm pulling for, for my man Jamal Hill. What a story. Oh, yeah, but nothing's off limits. I mean, like, I'm the, I'm the segue king of just going on a tangent and just, you know, going to wherever, wherever it takes us. But we are going to get to the best of – UFC 2022 and we're going to start off with your submission of the year my submission of the year that I mean that's a I mean it's interesting when you think about it I want to go and here's my honorable mention I'm just going to give you one because it's so hard for me not to pick Yuri because he's a striker against Glover who's also great on the ground in jiu-jitsu Glover just ran out of gas I think late in that fight but the way Yuri Prohoshka just stole that belt in the final minute of that fight from the great Great, great Glover Teixeira with that rear naked choke. That, that is very tough to beat. 
but it was beaten in my book by Jessica Andrade, the former champ. I mean, she comes back down to 115, and she just, you remember that fight against Amanda Lemos, who is a beast, at UFC Vegas 52. That was a standing arm triangle choke, and, you know, it was up against the cage. It kind of reminded me of John Jones, Lyoto Machida, and um, just, just brutal, just a brutal finish, a brutal choke. And this is a brutal fighter. Remember when she slammed Thug Rose? I mean, she's just a vicious, vicious fighter in a stacked division. But Jessica Andrade standing arm triangle against Amanda Lemos, I have to go with that one. And also, it was so shocking to see because, for me, I've never seen that in the UFC before. And you, know, so, But have you seen the standing arm triangle in the UFC before? Or was that the first? Uh, you know what? Offhand, I don't, I can't. I can't tell you offhand. I don't remember seeing one. No, it's very rare, and it's a brilliant maneuver by an incredible fighter, and she's not done wearing gold around her waist, I have a feeling. I mean, she's at least going to get another title fight, maybe in 2023. Again, we're talking to Jim Greeshaber here on The Fight Game. You can follow him on Twitter at CageSideGrease. So now let's move on to that knockout of the year. A lot of good candidates, but tell me what you have. Man, there's so many. I mean, this is always a hard one, right? I mean, my honorable mention for this one, though, um, you know what? Uh, there's no wrong I answer. Tell, I, I still haven't even decided. There, there's so many of them for knockout of the year, and, and I have to go to two. But, uh, okay, so Michael Chandler's front kick on Tony Ferguson at UFC 274 because Kikui was looking really good, and, and Tony's had a bad run, let's be real, from the Habib fight in Brooklyn being canceled by COVID, so those two – you know, the curse continued, and they never got to fight, and then Habib retires. But Tony just goes on this horrific losing streak and finding different heartbreaking ways to lose. You know, the Gaethje fight, and then against Oliveira, the only guy that Oliveira, Oliveira didn't sub out of all those other guys until he fought Islam. But, you know, it, it's, it's hard not to pick this one as my knockout of the year, but I'm not going to. My knockout of the year is it has to be Leon Edwards, Kamara Usman. It has to be. I mean, that just was... The, the, the magnitude of that, Leon Edwards, a huge underdog, was getting worked that whole fight. Kamaro was being Kamaro, just dominating a fight from start to finish. And Dana White always says that you've got to finish people when you get the chance. And so many times we see champions and fighters fight safe. And I, and I look, look, Kamaro did what he did, and, and I don't think he necessarily kind of fought safe and said, hey, I'm going to put in the nickel defense here to prevent defense. But... um you know, it's not, sorry for the football reference, I know you're scarred this year in Vegas, but no, it, it's like, like the, the, the fight was won and dominated by Usman, and then out of nowhere, that head kick, man, that head kick, it just reminded me of, of the way that he was able to steal that fight, it reminded me of Silva against Chael with that late submission, like Yuri against Glover, I mean, there just were so many great finishes and great fights, but, but that head kick by Leon Edwards to pull that fight out and win the belt, and the magnitude of that situation and the greatness of Usman, the pound-for-pound pound number one, people talking about him being better than GSP in that division as a champion, and Leon Edwards ended every single bit of that with one head kick. So I'm going with that one. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit more. I mean, it's taking place in Salt Lake City. I didn't expect the crowd to be as raucous as it was, but with Leon Edwards, where do you think that takes him into his 2023? It takes him to a one-and-done with no title defenses but it was still a great win. I, I, I'm not saying that to diss him. I love Leon, but I just don't see him beating anybody he defends that belt against, including Usman again. I just, I really, I don't know how you feel about it, but if you look at the rankings in that division, you look at the top of that division, if Hamzat's there, there's no way he beats him. There's no way in my mind he beats Colby. If he fights Usman again, he's getting knocked out in the first round, no doubt, within two minutes, because Usman's that great, and he's pissed at himself, 
and a pissed off great champion is not someone you want to rematch with. Um, but he can handle that anger and that emotion. So I just don't see Leon making a title defense. I, I, I bet you anything it's going to be March 26th at the O2 on pay-per-view. It has to be because if you look at the divisions for the two March pay-per-views, the only divisions that haven't been really settled or on schedule right now to be settled are the women's divisions, heavyweight, and welterweight. So Leon's got to headline the O2. Aspinall's not going to be ready, and he's not a pay-per-view headliner anyway. So it's got to be him, and it's got to be Patty the Batty as the co-main. That's what I would think. Camaro's though not going to be ready. So the only wild card here, from what I'm hearing, and, and you Wonder Boy said this, and I know you heard it by now, Camaro's not going to be ready for that fight. So the UFC will will need and want Edwards to headline. So they'll put Masvidal in there because of the the three piece in a soda. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so <laughs> he'll he'll mop the floor. He'll kill Masvidal. I mean, I just don't think Jorge's that level right now. So. That's the one caveat for Edwards to get a title defense is if he gets the Masvidal fight. I saw that too, but I just don't think, well, the UFC, they can do whatever they want. They don't care about my opinion. But Masvidal just can't have a title shot. And it, it would be almost WWE-like if Masvidal is the guy getting a shot. It, it'd be, oh, you're just doing this for storyline purposes. Well, who's the other guy that you would put in there, though? Because I know the thing is, you if you want... Colby and Hamzat to fight, which would be amazing. I, I mean, that would be, to me, I, that's the fight I would want to see almost more than any in the UFC besides maybe Henry and Volkanovski and Jones and pretty much any of the top five heavyweights, but especially Stipe and, and even more so Francis. But that would be amazing. I, I don't know, man. I, I just When I'm looking at welterweight, Kamaru's there. He's not going to be ready. Colby and Hamzat, two and three. Bilal Muhammad, you know, I mean, he's calling for every kind of shot in the world. Gilbert Burns is still out there, but... You know, is this really, are you really going to risk a title fight on a pay-per-view with those guys right now? Colby, maybe. Edwards doesn't sell. Colby would sell a little bit. If you have Patty on there, you'll be all right. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I think that Masvidal moves the needle. He's the BMF. And if, if they could do what they did with Izzy and Yoel Romero, where he's the champion, that's who he wants to fight. Or, you know, Izzy and, and Pereira. Alex would never have gotten a title shot probably five more fights, at least three more. But Izzy called him out. I mean, the champ gets what they want. And if Edwards wants Masvidal in London at the O2, I don't see the UFC saying no to that. I don't. They don't always go by the rankings. The, 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 you know, the, 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 what you call it is there. The precedent has been set in the past. They've done this before. And I think Masvidal is one of those guys who's a big enough name after Nate Diaz put him on the map and The Rock put the belt around his waist, even though he hasn't won since. I don't think that's too far-fetched. All, I've conf- all I can come back with is, you got me there. I'll give it to you there. Like When you said moving the needle and who can sell against Leon Edwards, you got me there. So we're just going to move on to your fight of the year, Grease. My fight of the year. Uh, you see, I was going to go Usman Edwards. Uh, Usman Edwards was amazing. Um, and, of course, because of the magnitude of it and the way that it ended with a shocking upset, Yuri and Glover was absolutely incredible at the end, and I did not think Glover Teixeira could hang with Yuri Prohoshka the way he did, and not only hang with him, he was beating him. He had that fight won with a minute left, and clearly won, which is pretty amazing. Um, how about Cyril Gaon and, and Tai Tuivasa? What a fight, dude. Woo! Cyril Gaon got rocked, and he took that shot. I didn't think anyone you know, could take that, and, and, um, and then you saw what he did after in the head kick, and he just wobbled him, and then he got to punch the guy a thousand times just to put him out. I mean... That was incredible, too. I mean, there's just so many. It's, it's really, really tough to say. Um, 
you know, the fight of the year because, like, there's just so many of them. And it's just, uh, it's one of the things where when I, when I think about that type of thing with the UFC and I try to get the fight of the year out of so many fights and so many fighters and, and so many greats, I mean, it's, I just named three of them that it could be. You know what I mean? And there's so many more if you go down the list that you could just look at and say, that's the fight of the year. That's, we had so many great fights this year, and uh, it just was incredible. I mean, Gaethje and Chandler was at the end of 2021. That was incredible, right? I mean, I, I just, I don't know, so many of them. But I'm going to have to go because it was the fight where we actually, I love fights, see, where we, we get proven to us that the fighter is actually legit when he fights a world-class competitor and the hype train's behind him and he's going full speed ahead and he's beating everybody. And this guy in particular is fighting twice in two weeks during the pandemic and beating two people in two weight classes and the meteoric rise from 30,000 on social to 400,000 that one week. And then he just goes on a run and just crushes everything in his path, but no real big time contenders. And of course I'm talking about Hamza Shemaev, right? And then what happens at UFC 273 in April, he gets in the octagon with Gilbert Burns, one of the very best in the world, former number one title contender, actually before Leon Edwards, the guy who came closest to ending Usman's title reign in the first round, had him rock. Gilbert Burns can fight anybody any night and beat him anywhere in the world. And for Hamzat Shumayev to outlast him the way that he did, even though that I thought, you know, for sure that that was, that was closer and, and maybe... You know, as I look back at, at UFC 273, maybe you could make a case that Burns won. And at first I was a little going, oh, come on, Burns won. But, you know, I, I really don't, I don't think Burns won that fight when I look back and I watched it again. And I've watched that fight probably five times since then. And the crazy thing about it, D, it was only three rounds because it was a co-co-main with Sterling and Jan and Vulcan and, and Zombie being the two title fights above it on the card. So it didn't get as much attention as some of the other main events did, but... Man, that, that unanimous decision win for Hamza Shemaev over Gilbert Burns back and forth and forth and back, both from cut, bloody, beat up. I mean, that was a dope, dope fight, and I really hope those guys fight again for five rounds next time. I'm with you 1,000% on that pick there because also for me, that was the is Hamzat for real fight. Obviously, it's the test because like you said, Gilbert Burns, he's one of those guys where he's got his bona fides. He's one of the top guys in the welterweight division. And for me, that was the, I was also leaning towards Gilbert Burns as well, but that but that was just me picking the name. And it was just for me, I I love to be the skeptic of the hype train. I love to be the skeptic. I love to be, hey, show me when it counts. And Hamzat, he's done that. And should he be the number one contender in the welterweight division? I don't know because, you know, the weight is an issue. But with that fight there, that was the proven fight to me. And I think that he's on that trajectory to, hey, man, this guy's going to be tough to beat. Do you see him getting a title shot in 2023? Oh, without a doubt. In either division, either one. Either one, as long as he doesn't lose. I mean, obviously, he, does, he can't lose. But that dude, I don't think he deserves it right now at welterweight because he missed and because it was such a disgrace and the way he acted and his behavior. But there's no denying his greatness. I mean, look, I, honestly speaking, we know that Kevin Holland's got no shot against the best guys in the division, especially the wrestlers and grapplers. And Wonderboy doesn't either. And that was a great fight. But they're a level down now, I believe, in a major way. They're not title contenders. But, you know, it's just... You, you have to, at some point, give that credit to Boers because, you know, he's, his striking has gotten so much better training with Till, and Till and Duplessis was a great fight. I mean, Darren Till's got nothing to be ashamed about, but when I, when I look at, um, at Hamza Shumayev, right, I look at his rise, and I think of the fights he's fought, 
he needs a couple more big wins to me before he gets the title shot. One trend that I've seen, and I'm with you on the hype train, Sage Northcutt, Paige Van Zant, you know, the list goes. Connor was the one guy who outlasted all of that. I think the Patty train is coming crashing down very soon, um, and it should have in his last fight and um, against Gordon. But, you know, I mean, I'm for sure that guy's going to get knocked out the first time he fights a great fighter. He's going to be eating the canvas. and nothing against him, but that hype train's crashing on. If you hate hype trains and you can't wait for one to come crashing off the track, that's probably the first one. If you're looking at which hype train is going to crash first, Islam, Hamza, Patty, you know what I mean? It, it's it's going to be Patty. So when you look at Hamza as, as a title contender, I like him more D at 85. That's more of a natural weight for him. And I, I just think Alex would have no chance against Hamza. I mean, literally, absolutely, like, it's the Hail Mary head kick. It's the Leon Edwards. That's it. That's his only shot in that fight is the Leon Edwards Either, either that left hook of his or the kick, uh, he, I think Hamzat would destroy Alex Pereira and, and win the middleweight belt easily. Um, now, that doesn't mean I think he would beat Whitaker, and there's all those guys are lined up again because Izzy cleaned him out, but now that Izzy doesn't have the belt, if he doesn't get it back, Alex you know, would have to face those guys, and he's not going to last long. So I think Jemayev's best path to the title is to have Alex beat Izzy in the rematch, and then he smokes Alex. I think, to me, that's his quickest path. Because I actually think Usman would would beat him, and I, and I don't think it would be all that close. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I like that. I think that's a bit of a hot take. I do think it'd be a close fight, but I would take Usman if you gave me some odds. Now, Grease, I've got to ask you, who is your fighter of the year? Man, that you know, it's so hard, and I love so many fighters. I do. It, it's just. Oh, man. And, and, you know, so many of them, you know, obviously you, you look at the guys like it would be Usman and it would be, you know, and I just, it's, it's hard to, um, Charles Oliveira was doing so great. And, you know, so many guys like Francis sat out for the year and, you know, he only fought once, but what a performance by him against Gon to wrestle, which nobody thought Francis Ngannou could or would ever do. Uh, I mean, not anybody outside of his team anyway, <laughs> but on the, not the way that he did in that fight. Just pure strength and athleticism. That, that was incredible what he did against Cyril Gon, but it was only one fight. You know, and, and so when I look back at the year and I'm thinking about the fighter of the year, to me, I want a guy who's won more than one fight. You know, I want a guy who's won more than one fight. So I can't go that route. And, you know, I mean, there's so many great fighters that had just incredible years in the UFC. It's really hard to pick one. So I know we have to, and it's not going to be easy. So when I look at, you know, the best fighters of the year, I start looking at the people who have won the most fights. And then I start looking, you know, at the people who have, um, who have, you know, had the the best performances and and not just necessarily the finishes because, you know, a finish against one fighter might not be as impressive as a decision, you know, against another fighter. So it's got to be, to me, the only guy I can pick is Alex Pereira. It has to be because of what he did over the summer when he just completely starched Sean Strickland, who had won six fights in a row and was a beast at the time. And, um, and then he came out and did what he did against Izzy to beat him again in a fight he was losing very late, very clearly on every card, and he comes back and knocks him out you know, later in the fight. And I, and I really think that um, you know, Zhang Wei Li has to be up there. Zhang Wei Li you know, definitely had wins over two former champions. So female fighter of the year, I'd go Zhang Wei Li. Um, how's it, it's hard not to pick Aljo, Aljamain Sterling, and there's so many, but I, I guess I, I have to go Alex, man. The, the, the finish Strickland and Izzy the way that he did, it's Alex Pereira all day long. 
man, I can't argue with you there because just to, for him to even win the championship and the fashion that he did it, getting the knockout, basically doing what he said he was going to do. I didn't think he was going to upset Izzy, but he did it. And so the lack of MMA experience for me, that's the part where it's like, man, this guy may be special, but it also, like you said, he may get in there with an extreme grappler and, and then that's that's all he wrote. Like where he comes in, where like I said earlier with WWE, it's the storyline of, hey, you're the rival from the champ's past, but we don't have anything set for you outside of the rivalry with that with that ex-champion. But it no, was still fun to see. Reason, really, not the only reason, but the biggest reason Edwards got that fight against Kamaru, too. When I look at, at Alex, though, see, I mean, against Michelatis, what he did, with, he, I mean, look, he, he did what he had to do. He came back in his UFC debut, but he was losing that fight. He got badly outgrappled, and that's not a world-class grappler. Then Bruno Silva... He won a unanimous decision, but he had some trouble with Bruno Silva. So I'm going, how the world, and I know what they were doing. They're fast-tracking him to Izzy, obviously. So it was a rhetorical question I'm asking myself, which I do a lot. I don't know how many of you do that. I ask myself rhetorical questions all the time. It's kind of what we do in this business. But it's crazy because the way that he looked against Andreas and Bruno in those first two fights, then he goes out against Strickland, and you're wondering how he even got that fight, even though, like I said, it's rhetorical, and you know it's to get to Izzy. No other guy would have gotten that fight at that point in time off those two performances. Nobody. And it were, were it not for his history against Izzy, even as a kickboxing legend, he still wouldn't have. It was all about Izzy. So he's, we got we to gotta, you know, give Izzy that recognition. But to do what he did against Strickland and Izzy back-to-back, coming off of those first two fights, to see how much he's improved, not only winning all three fights, not only dominating all three fights, not only finishing the last two against world-class fighters and maybe against the best in the world over the last few years in Izzy do those two things and keep getting better to see that he's training with Glover and, you know, he's trained with GSP to see how much better he just keeps getting. It's, um, it's really impressive because I didn't think we'd see that against Strickland and I sure as hell didn't think we'd see that against Izzy, but he's got to clean it up because Izzy took him down and we know Izzy's no wrestler. So he gets in there with a, with a Hamzat Shemaev or he gets in there with a Robert Whitaker or he gets in there with, with any of those guys at the top of that division. You know what they're doing. It's going to be grappling intensive in that octagon against him, and they're going to make him prove that he can win that style of fight because anyone who gets in there to throw hands and feet with Alex Pereira is a moron. You have to be out of your mind. He's <laughs> crazy, except Izzy. That's it, really. Yeah, I think that was Sean Strickland's biggest problem where he just said, hey, man, I'm going to beat him at his own game. And somebody should yeah, I don't know about that, buddy. Again, we're talking to Jim Griesauber here on the fight game. Last one for you. Give me your biggest prediction for 2023. My biggest prediction for 2023, two of them, okay? And these are equally huge. And I have to save, and and these are, to me, the two greatest of all time, the two greatest combat sports athletes of all time. One, because he's the greatest fighter of all time, and the other, because he's the greatest combat sports athlete of all time. So if you're really on top of your game, you probably got it already. But I'm going very close 1B, very close 1B, is Henry Cejudo will be a two-division champion in 2023. Henry Cejudo will beat Aljamain Sterling and win the Bantamweight belt. Then he will beat Alexander Volkanovsky and win the Featherweight belt. That's my 1B. How about that for Triple C, the Olympic gold medalist? Why? Because he was picked to finish last in the Olympics. And what did he do? He won the gold medal. He wasn't even picked to come anywhere near making Team USA for the Olympics. What did he do? He made the team. This dude just gets better. The brighter the lights, I've known him for years. I've known his team, his family, his friends for years. He just gets better and better and better, the bigger it gets, the brighter the light. He's just that dude. 
And the bigger the fight, the bigger the, the reward. At the, he, he will win. Trust me, he will win those fights. If they give him those fights, he get, he's going to get Aljo. But if they give him Volk, he wins that too. Because Volk will be getting smashed by Islam, and then he'll have to come back down. And, and we've seen that with champions, you know. Izzy lost for the light heavyweight belt, came back and defended light, or rather, came back and defended middleweight. But um, it's, it's very rare. So if Volk gets smashed the way I think he will against Islam, it, it, his mind won't be as right anyway, and Henry, it'll be a good time for Henry to fight him. But regardless, Henry beats him. So that's my 1B. He'll have two belts by the end of the year. Henry, if you're listening, shout out. Two, and this is my 1A, and this is a no-brainer to me. The heavyweight championship belt of the, United, of, of the Ultimate Fighting Championship will be around the waist of John Bones Jones, the greatest fighter of all time, by the end of 2023. 20, and the reason why is, if he fights Stipe, that's a great matchup for Jones. He's going to be a little heavier, a much better wrestler, much better up against the cage. I think that would be a good fight for Jones to actually get his feet wet at heavyweight. You know, maybe it's with the lack of wrestlers up there, it's a little tough. And, and you've got some headhunters up there. You've got some killers. Cyril Gaon would be really tough for Jones. You know, Pavlovich, man, Pavlovich and Nganu, which one's going to connect with the Molotov cocktail first? You know, I mean, in that fight. So, John Jones, no matter who he fights, though, and I believe it'll be Nganu, but John Jones at the end of the year, by the end of the year, and at the end of the year still will be the UFC's heavyweight champ. So, Henry is the bantamweight and featherweight champion, and John Jones is the heavyweight champion in 2023. Woo! Okay, now those are some bold predictions. Those are hot takes, especially your 1B. I mean, you're you're 1A, John Jones. I'm with you there. But Henry being a double champ, beating Aljo and Volk, two good friends of the show, I don't see it. Aljo and Volk. He (laughs) matches up great against both of them, man. He matches up great. Now, the wrestling of Henry and the jujitsu of Aljo, that's – kind of negates a little bit, but Henry's jiu-jitsu is incredible, and he's a Golden Gloves boxer. People don't know that about him. He could have been an Olympic boxer or at least a very good pro boxer who would contend for belts. So he's not just a wrestler. He's really well-rounded. They have his camp down to a science at NeuroForce 1 for any weight class every second of every day. He beat the greatest of all time in Mighty Mouse. He pummeled the greatest bantamweight champion of all time besides Dominic Cruz in T.J. Dillashaw. You just look at Marlon Marias was kicking that leg off his body and he was on one foot after turning his ankle and almost breaking it in practice during the week. He was on one foot, then he blows his shoulder in the first round, and he beats Marlon Narias, who was almost unbeatable at that time, with one arm and one leg to win that belt. So the, the, I just would never bet against him. He gets the opportunity. He's going to get it done. I, I don't think Aljamain Sterling lasts a round against Henry, honestly speaking. I just, and it's not a knock on Aljo. I love Aljo. But Henry is that good in my mind. He's that good. That, not that good, that great. So the reason I'm picking that is because he's been out for a while, and he's been he's been coaching, he's been learning, he's been with Yuri, he's been with Jones, he's been with Valentina. I mean, he's been working with Davis and Figueroa. He's worked, you name it, he's worked with them, and he's he's done a great job with that the coaching aspect of it. So he's learned more, and he's and he's so smart. Trust me. I mean, I that's I'm not just saying that. It's not just some off the wall thing because it's a hot take or it's a bold prediction. I believe that without a doubt he gets the opportunity for 45. He's going to be the 35 champ regardless. But at 45, if he gets that shot, he beats him too. And that would be amazing because the one guy in the UFC besides Henry, who I think Volk really struggles with, is this one. I think Volk beats everybody at featherweight over and over again and just keeps cleaning it out. You know, I mean, Taporia may be the guy eventually. But when, when I look at, you know, Henry is a different breed. 
Islam is, I think, too big and too strong for Volkanovski, although I wouldn't be surprised if Volk wins. But I still think Henry would beat him. But those two guys, Volkanovski and Henry, always find a way to win. Who in the hell escapes two submissions from Brian Ortega in one fight and wins? Alex Volkanovski, that's who. <laughs> you know, who beat Max Holloway in, in an epic trilogy three times and, and the third time leaves no doubt whatsoever? Alexander Volkanovski. I mean, it's just, I don't know. To me, that's the fight of the year, fight of the century, Henry and Volkanovski. I don't think the UFC, with, with the fact that he's cleaned out that division at featherweight so much, if he doesn't win the lightweight belt, who else is he defended against? You know, I mean, you've, you've got Yair in there, and you've got Josh Emmett in there, and they're going to fight each other. And you've got Ilya Teporia coming up, and Giga Chikadze is in the top ten. But to me, Max and Yair and T-City, maybe Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen's tough. But none of those other guys are beating Volkanovski. The, the UFC is going to have to give Henry that fight. It might not be in 2023, but if he's active and he's the 35 champ and he wants the 45 shot, eventually they're going to have to give it to him because Volkanovski is going to run out of people to fight. It's going to be that simple. So that's, that's my logic behind that pick. It's not just some random, hey, put a blindfold on and throw a dart at the wall. I actually believe there's a legit chance, more than a 60% shot, that happens. I agree. Before I let you go, I mean, some real bold predictions there. But let everybody know what you got going on, where they can find you, where they can follow you. All right. Well, we're going to get the shows going on ESPN Radio again. Um, it's college football. We didn't have them. So I'm the UFC insider for ESPN Radio National. And, and before the pay-per-views, I'll be hosting a two-hour special around the country on ESPN Radio. So look for that on, on a more regular basis, MMA Weekly, which is cool. You know, I'm, I'm, I love that. They've been around the, the largest independently owned MMA website in the world, been there 21 years covering the UFC for everything. From the day Dana White took over that press conference, MMA Weekly's been there front and center. And so I'm their, their host and their interviewer. And right now we've been doing the pay-per-views and we go live. I host live for the weigh-ins, both weigh-ins, the press conferences and the fights. We do a, a live reaction show. So I'm all over MMA Weekly, ESPN Radio, and then with you guys in Vegas and you know, I, I mean, just the most important thing I am, though, D, is I'm your guest of the year. I, I, that's the, the highest honor I could get before, you know, we turn the corner and go into 2023. So being your guest of the year, that's where you can find me, with D right here, with Demon. That's, what, that's where I'm at. The highest of honors. I mean, the, the trophy's in the mail. Don't worry. You're going to get it. Jim Greeshopper, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for coming on with me. You got it, man. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you. And say hi to everybody up there. All right. Thank you so much. The guest of the year. I mean, Jim Grease Hoppers, thank you so much for him coming on. And when I talk to Grease, I lose track of time and the show is just about over. But I am going to give you the quick rundown of my winners of the awards that I had my guest answer. So as I bid you adieu, submission of the year, Yuri Prohoshka. I mean, doing it in a championship fight when he was definitely down on the scorecards. Got to give him that knockout of the year. I'm going to give you three. Yes, it's my show. I make the rules. Michael Chandler over Tony Ferguson. I'm going to go three there. Ah, man. It's, it's so hard, and I know I'm running out of time. I'll just give you two. Michael Chandler over Tony Ferguson. Leon Edwards over Kamaru Usman. Fight of the year, also Leon and Kamaru Usman, because I did not see that coming. That was movie-like, the way that comeback ended that fight with the head kick from Leon Rocky Edwards. And the fighter of the year. Hey, I know people don't want to hear it. Alexander Volkanovsky over Korean Zombie, over Max Holloway, and setting up for a super fight. This is the fight game on 1230 The Game. Stay safe and take a sip at all times, everybody.